Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, Rise Together family. Dave here. Welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. Welcome to the end of June. Uh, as you may or may not be familiar, June is Pride Month. And uh, we are going to end this month and uh, the month of uh, celebrating Pride with a look back at three of my favorite conversations from this show with people, friends, who themselves live and work inside of the LGBT community and uh, in having these conversations, hopefully offer an invitation to walk alongside them, to put yourself in their shoes, to in the hope for that empathy bridge to uh, be extended, uh, listen, learn uh, with an open heart, uh, just feel what it's like to live in and walk in their shoes as uh, they celebrate who they are and uh, hopefully uh, in understanding a little bit more of their journey, uh, it uh, offers an invitation for you to ask even more questions, to lean even more into community uh, and maybe even consider how you might be supportive uh, of the needs of the community in uh, a month like Pride as it shows up. So we have three amazing guests today, people who were on the show over this last year, the first of which is Amit Paley. He runs one of the most extraordinary organizations in the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ young people. Uh, some of their research showed that uh, upwards of 40% of LGBTQ youth contemplate suicide. It is a public health crisis, and they are doing extraordinary work to try and address that crisis and create support for that crisis. And uh, Amit and I have just a, a, a wonderful conversation. I hope that you are inspired by it. And, uh, and even more, I hope that you start asking questions on how you might be able to support the mission that they are doing in this world. It is good work. Uh, we then have a conversation with Rosemary Ketchum. Rosemary uh, made history when, as the first publicly transgender candidate for elected office, she won an elected position. And uh, we talked about the kind of bravery, the kind of uh, obstacles that she faced. And, uh, and for me, someone who just hasn't had as much in-person time and exposure with the transgender community. It was uh, an opportunity for me to just, again, kind of listen and learn from someone and their firsthand experience. And the third conversation today 
is with my friend Jeffrey Marsh. Uh, Jeffrey is a non-binary rights activist, among other things. And again, in a world where I just haven't had as much exposure to what it means to be non-binary, this was an invitation to learn and to listen and to um, hopefully, uh, in having a conversation, create something of understanding in a space where less existed before the conversation started. Pride is a, an important thing in my life. It has been something that I have been engaged and active in, uh, in part because I'm the father of a gay son, proud to be a father of a gay son. And uh, knowing that uh, we are an LGBTQ family and that the issues that affect this community are issues that affect my family, uh, I think it's important that we keep having these conversations and that we continue to lean in to community lean into proximity, lean into listening and understanding uh, for the hope that we might create love and understanding and support. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Happy Pride Month. I hope that you, uh, if nothing else, uh, are able to walk alongside each of these uh, individuals as they have this conversation with an open heart. And uh, in that openness, maybe become a little curious in how you could lean into and be supportive of the LGBTQ community, not just during the month of Pride, but all year round. Let's go. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. It's so inspiring to have people who obviously care so much and who are role modeling what it means to be a loving, supporting member of a community. Uh, you know, we need more people who are allies who are coming in and saying, I may not know exactly what you're going through, but I'm hearing what you're sharing with me. And it's helping me understand how I can be more supportive. And people who are talking about young people who are in pain because there's so many people who don't want to talk about suicide who don't want to talk about the shame and alienation that young people feel and i think until we can be comfortable talking about that we can't help to direct people and get people motivated on how to change their behavior and make sure they're coming from a place of love and caring and support uh, because that really does make such a huge difference in the lives of young people absolutely uh, but to, so, so to your point, I, I've, I've been volunteering and answering calls. And I, I still actually take calls on our lifeline. Um, so I've had a lot of really incredible calls. I, I think some of the calls are, some of the calls are really beautiful in the sense of their young people reaching out for the first time and saying something like, I'm trying to decide if I should come out. No one knows that I'm gay and I think if anyone ever found out they wouldn't accept me and I just don't know if I can come out what people would say and 
when that sort of conversation happens, we share with that young person, well, actually, you just told me that you're gay. And um, I want you to know that I'm incredibly proud of you for um, sharing who you are. And I still think you're as amazing as you were when we first started this conversation. And it helps to, it can sometimes help them to understand um, what it is like to share who you are and not have people um, react with that with that sense of, of hate or um, rejection. But we also have a lot of really challenging calls. I, I remember one that I took a number of years ago from a young person who was, um, uh, I won't say the state, but they were calling from the Midwest and um, their father had found out they were LGBTQ and had said, you're disgusting, you're an abomination before God, you have disgraced this family, I've left the gun cabinet unlocked. Oh, God. I'm leaving the house right now, you know what the right thing to do is. Oh, my oh. gosh. I think with with all the progress that is made in certain parts of, of the community and parts of the world, there are still people who are so afraid and so filled with hatred that they could say something to their child. So and it was ended up being a very long conversation to support this young pe- person and get them to a place where they could be safe. But what I what I said to that young person, um, part of what I said to that young person, which is which is what we say to so many young people that we hear from, uh, is that there may be people who don't accept you for being who you are, and your father may be one of those people, and there may be other people like that in your family and community. But I, I need you to know that there are many people in this world who will not only accept you for being who you are, but will celebrate who you, you for being who you are. And I want you to know that I am one of those people and I am incredibly proud of you. And when we say something like that, we just often hear, you know, tears on the other end of the line because it is someone who their whole life has been afraid of rejection. And then if they may have come out, they may have felt and heard that rejection in the harshest um, way. And to know that there are people in the world who see them for who they are and who accept them and celebrate them for being here there, that sort of messaging literally can save lives of people. Um, And so that is both what we do um, on our programs when people reach out to us to let young people know that we see them and that they're beautiful the way that they are. And we also try to help people um, and educate people that um, they can be that source of support for people in their lives. You know, there, there's a really important statistic that having just one supportive person in your life um, can reduce an LGBTQ young person's risk of suicide by 30%. And w- I hope all your listeners know they can be that one person. Yeah. They can be that person sending love and support to people in their life, um, to people they come across, and letting them know that they're an ally and supportive um, and that there are people who will be there for them. There are uh, differences in overall um, and in overall rates of of suicide. And I mentioned Utah is a state where suicide is the number one reason that young people die. Um, but it is it is also the case that this is a major major public health crisis in every single state in the country. And I had something that well, this can't be a problem in New York City or in San Francisco or in West Hollywood. And turns out to be the case that there are that there are people in crisis everywhere, and there are people who feel alone and rejected everywhere. 
Um, it is also the case that there are a lot of communities that, you know, there might be stereotypes that they are not, not supportive places. And in, in even the most, the places that are the most conservative that people might not expect there to be support, there are LGBTQ people there and there are parents and families there that are just filled with love and pride um, for their children and for their neighbors and for their church members um, and for their community members. And I think that's what we're trying to encourage. I, I, I just, I have to say, I was so moved by both of you talking about things that you do that maybe you just sort of take for granted. But Dave, you know, the, the fact that you are such a visible ally, I mean, that, you know, I heard about that from our, our, our mutual friend, um, Ricky Strauss, who used to be the chair of the Trevor Project board. You know, people, people at Disney knew that you were an ally. And I, maybe many of them came up and talked to you, but I am very confident that there are people that you made a real difference in their ability to feel safe and comfortable at who they are that maybe never told you that maybe you never spoke to them, but just knowing that there is someone who works with them, someone who's successful, um, that, that, that sort of messaging, some of which is conscious and some of which is not, those are the types of messages that have such a huge difference in making people feel supported and loved and comfortable being who they are. And so I just, I just wanna make sure that people listening don't underestimate the huge difference that they can make, small, subtle things that you do in letting people know that you um, support them, that you're a person that they can talk to if they're in crisis, that you're supportive of LGBTQ people, that literally could save someone's life. And you may not know that that happened right away. You may find out about it years later, but don't underestimate the power that your words and that love can have. That's so good. Thank you. Dang it. I feel affirmed. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Which was the whole point of today's conversation. Jeez. Well, you Thank needed you. more affirmation. Can, can you give us, I mean, obviously crisis is ongoing and there are so many people that you will help, but do you have stats on how many calls you've taken? Do you have any way of kind of capturing the magnitude of the impact that the Trevor Project has had over time? Well, we we know how many people we have um, been in contact with across all our different um, programs and platforms. I mean, over the years, it's it's millions and millions of people that have been um, impacted or touched in some way by our work. Um, we actually we don't know how many people, how many lives ultimately were saved by what we've done. We 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 did an independent evaluation of our programs a few years ago. And um, we were actually nervous about doing it um, because we had never really measured how successful our programs were in having impact. Um, these independent researchers found that 90% of the LGBTQ youth that we served on our crisis programs saw a significant reduction in their suicidal ideation. I mean, 90% is a really, really high number in a wow. public health intervention. And they saw that that impact, not just at the point of crisis, when searchers followed up weeks later, they continued to see that reduction in suicidal ideation. So um, we we know that we know that the work that we do um, saves lives every day, and that's why we're so focused on continuing to grow and scale our programs so we can make sure that every LGBTQ young person knows that they are not alone and can always reach out to us for help. If someone is listening and they want to get involved, they want to be helpful, will you tell us some ways that we can do that? 
Uh, so there are a number of ways if people are listening and want to get involved. Um, there's lots of information on our website, www.thetrevorproject.org. Uh, you can find information there if people want to volunteer. Um, we have different programs you can volunteer. If people want to donate, you can find information on how to donate and help us um, expand the work that we're doing. If you're looking for um, resources and information that you can share in your community, um, those are on our site as well. And if you are a young person who's listening or someone who um, works or um, uh, is in contact with young people, um, all our resources are there. Our, our toll-free 24-7 phone number is 1-866-488-7386. Um, people can also text us um, by texting 678-678. Uh, and there's lots more resources, all of which people can find uh, on our website. Again, it's www.thetrevorproject.org. A lot of people, I'm going to guess, listening to the show, I'm myself included, I started our conversation before we were recording, representing that I do not have as much kind of just like knowledge of the experience of a person who is transgender. And I, uh, man, I'm, I love an idea of having a conversation like this so that I can also sit closer and become a little bit smarter. Uh, I mean, my exposure to trans visibility, as it were, has more than anything come through shows like Transparent or Orange is the New Black. And um, I know, you know, Laverne Cox being on the cover of Time back in 2014 is a thing that I can, you know, I can still remember like, wow, right. look at this. But I have not myself really leaned into and had, you know, a doing life with someone kind of experience to actually understand what it what it is that you are having to um, overcome when it comes to societal anything for anyone who may be like me can you just you know help dimensionalize a little bit of what you know like the community at large mm -hmm. has to work through I, i'm not looking i mean if you have them stats are great but like i you know i just i don't have a perfect handle on kind of what it is to kind of row against the current of the world that we live inside of yeah no, I mean, it, it's incredibly, you know, cultural. All the implications that we deal with are societal and cultural, especially as trans folks, because, you know, essentially we are betraying the societal expectation of our biological sex. We are saying we don't feel this way. This isn't the way it works, at least not for us. And, and that's really hard because, I mean, think about the centuries of built up societal expectation that has been affirmed for centuries until this last one. Um, you know, although we know trans folks and LGBT folks have existed forever, I mean, you know, some of the first um, uh, kind of identifiers of, of the trans experience exist um, in Native American culture. Uh, we have yet to have a real kind of inflection point uh, in cultural uh, consciousness or awareness. And I think that's happening now in a really powerful way. And so when I was a kid, there, you know, I'm 26 years old. I was born in 93. I, you know, did not have representation available to me in the way that we have now. And it makes, I mean, I feel old even saying it, but the only real introduction to the LGBT community that I had growing up was Will and Grace, which was meant to entertain and not educate. So um, I think for my parents as well, that was their only real uh, familiarity with LGBT culture. 
And while I love the show, it, it, it wasn't built to kind of, you know, be a masterclass in LGBTQ, you know, uh, lived experience. And I don't even, I can't even think if there was a trans portrayal, you know, in that TV show. Uh, and so nevertheless, I grew up and I, you know, really sought these representations that weren't kind of traumatic and tragic, you know, because thinking back to the representations that I uh, knew most more closely as a kid of trans people, they were, you know, sex workers and, you know, uh, subject to incredible violence and were on the outskirts of, you know, their communities and, and used drugs and, and while that can be true, and it's uh, you know a, a horrible pl plight on the LGBT community, that was not the normalized you know thing that I think I needed as a <laughs> young trans person. Um, it was a, more frightening than anything. So I hope that now we have more normalized or typified uh, examples of the trans experience. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a model. I'm not a whatever, you know, I am a normal person doing normal things in a normal little town. Um, and I hate the word normal. I work in mental health. We never use it, but in the context of culture, I think it's really important to see a very, um, you know, uh, a, a very healthy portrayal of the trans experience. And, you know, I, I hope that we can, influence our culture enough to make sure that's the, you know, that's the, that's a priority. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I heard you in an interview at one point talk about the distinction between ignorance and bigotry, mm. which I think is such an important thing because uh, one, I think there's just a lot of ignorance, uh, you know, and just kind of like what the experience of someone who's transgender actually is and what it means. Can you just, for anyone who's a little less familiar with transgender in general, mm -hmm. talk about that difference between the two and how there may be a, a role that anyone who's listening can work against either? Yeah, so I mean, growing up trans, you encountered some of the most awkward experiences maybe ever, you know, especially being trans in rural America. And, you know, I could, I remember, you know, having experiences with people who would ask me about my genitalia on the first, in the, within the first five minutes, or they would, you know, point out my Adam's apple or just some weird, just weird things. And, um, you know, I've gained a lot of confidence over the years. I, you know, I'm no longer an insecure teenager, but I, I sooner or later began to identify and differentiate the people who were doing this on purpose and were unkind and 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 and, and hateful in a way, um, but differentiate that between the people who just did not know and did not have the language and were working with an empty toolbox. They had no frame of reference here, and you know I learned many times over that I was the first person, you know, this individual, first trans person, this individual had met, and uh, you know I tried to. Uh, you know, come to those situations with grace and diplomacy and patience because uh, the last thing I want to do is punish curiosity because the second somebody kind of goes out on a limb to ask a question they're uncomfortable with, if we slap their hand, they may never ask that question again or they may never uh, feel a willingness to learn or understand. I, I understand that I am, for some people, the only trans representation that they see in their town. And I, while no trans person or LGBT person owes somebody their story or the facts about their personal history or medical history, I, I feel a kind of 
responsibility to try to be as open as possible for the folks who are are genuinely curious and ignorant, but want to build that toolbox, want to want to have the language you know, at their disposal so that the next time they meet somebody or have to have a conversation at a dinner table, you know, they're prepared to be an ally. Now that's good. I like that. On uh, this Rise Together podcast, we have a lot of parents that are listening, a lot of parents who, uh, if you're a parent, I think you have to have children. If, uh, if you have children <laughs> that maybe um, are questioning their gender identity or have maybe recently come out as trans and you with your accomplishments, you're now obviously a very visible out trans person that they could potentially look up to. What is something that you would want these parents to know about how best to show up for their kids mm -hmm. if they find themselves in a situation where they're being introduced with something that they also may be unfamiliar with and don't totally know how to handle? I would say embrace self-expression. One of the one of the most fascinating things to me, just from a psych mental health perspective, uh, you know, gender identity and, and gender roles are fascinating in and of themselves. Um, and there's a great discussion about nature nurture and what's innate and, and, and what isn't. And I actually am fascinated by folks who aren't LGBT, the kind of gender expression that cisgender heterosexual people experience because as trans people and LGBT people, we are, you know, I think privileged to be liberated in our ability to um, have free self-expression. I mean, we do live in a world that does not, is not always kind, but, you know, I get to do this in a way that, I, you know, I think I'm given permission because of my trans identity. A person who uh, does su subscribe to, you know, more rigid gender roles um, who is cisgender, heterosexual, they don't have the same liberties uh, to express themselves in, in their gender identity or sexuality without having to, you know, um, you know, get permission or have to kind of qualify it in some way. And, and so for parents, I think, you know, it's easy to be scared and to not know what's going on and to, you know, and to hope that what you're doing is enough. And all I can say is that so long as you lead with love and compassion and, and let your child know that you're an ally, language is super important. And I say this often that, you know, you never know who, who you're in the room with. You never know what people are going through. And so you make a, a joke or you make a, you know, whatever. If somebody doesn't understand you're an ally, they may not be very uncomfortable around you. And so I think the language we use is, is super, super important. And especially for children, they pick up on it so, um, so incredibly. So, I mean, I remember being a kid and if somebody made a gay joke, whether it was, you know, in, you know, just lighthearted or not, I remembered it. And I thought, oh, they might, you know, th that's something I need to kind of note just for my own survival, I guess. And we live in a different world than, you know, we did 10, 15 years ago. Um, but I think those things still, still matter. Off, off camera, before we start, I'm having this conversation with Jeffrey, whose pronouns are they in them? Mm -hmm. And I have to acknowledge up front that this is the first human that I've ever interacted with that I knew up front had they and them as their pronouns, how they identify themselves. And I am conscientious of it. I am going to be intentional in doing my best to call Jeffrey by the way they are hoping to be called. And yet I've never experienced this in my entire life. You just did it. You're a pro. Well, I feel nervous about this. Well, there's nothing to feel nervous about on my end. 
And we can absolutely talk about the nervousness. I think part of it comes from not from being a compassionate person. And you suspect that it's really rough to, I mean, I can explain why those are my pronouns, but I think you suspect that it's pretty rough to hear something else that doesn't match who you are. I think you know that feeling. By the way, from my interest in not offending you or being disrespectful right. to you, because the whole point of this conversation and introducing the audience that I will guess, like me, probably has not had as much experience with non-binary people in their life mm -hmm. that, man, I don't want to mess it up as the person who's trying to introduce them to they, them, you, and I, and I just don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, if something happens that's not correct, I'll just tell you what it is and we'll just move on from that. That's good. Because that's, I mean, I decided a really long time ago that I was going to correct people. So it's an individual choice. And so somebody could come in and be you know, using whatever pronouns and someone could decide, well, I'm just gonna let it slide. I don't really wanna be you know, too out there. I don't wanna make them feel bad and, and so on and so forth. And I decided I'm always going to correct because that's my dignity at stake. And I'm gonna do everything I can not to make people feel bad while I do that, because that's my spiritual health at stake. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's one of the things that I respect most about you because you have a way online in anything that you're creating that says, I'm gonna start with an empathy and compassion for humanity and an interest in protecting and defending some of the boundaries that are important on this side of the conversation. But you do it in a way that doesn't provoke, at least from what I've seen, shame or making people feel badly for what may in fact be some innocent mistakes that are being made in trying to learn and navigate something that's new for them. Yes. And before we were recording, you also said, um, you know, you, you can reintroduce yourself after I do my intro if there's something I missed. And the only thing I could think of is I try to help people stop hating themselves so much. That's what I do. How in the world would I have integrity in doing that if I went around making people feel guilty and bad <laughs> for something that, you know, they didn't intend, right? Oh, that's so beautiful. If everyone, by the way, started with that as their leading intention, so many of the problems we have would be solved. So much of the division and, and critique and vitriol that exists in the world dissipate just immediately if we started with that as the intention. So good. Can I tell you what I like about you? Can we stop? Well, this? yes, we can spend the rest of the entire episode on this. Um, okay, great, because it's a lot. I didn't have any trepidation at all about coming to talk to you, because I love your persona and I love who you are, but I also know that if, you know, something happened, we would acknowledge it together, that we're on the same side, if that makes any sense. Even yeah. if something, you know, that if even if something needs to be adjusted, sure, you know, that, that we could just have that talk, because that's who you are. Yeah. But by the way, the like the intention of this, our conversation, but also the broader conceit of the show is to invite people into an environment that might afford them this empathy bridge to walk one day in your shoes to understand a little bit of what it might be like or feel like to identify as you do and live as you do and respond to a world that may not necessarily every single time understand what it's like to be you. 
And so I like I'm that's part of why I get so excited about getting to have a conversation like this. I know like activism is a pretty broad word, but I see you and think of you first as an activist. And I am assuming that it feels something of a calling in your life because there's so much passion from which. Not as a best-selling author. Can't you put that first (laughs) and then? I'm kidding. I did. (laughs) At what point in life do you realize, oh, activism is a part of what I have as a gift for this world? You know, in, in getting ready to talk to you, I've been thinking about you, you know, off and on all week. And one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about was being a walking metaphor. Because in some ways you are too in your work. And to me, I think people can just look at me and instantly see what I was told my whole life was wrong with me, if you get my drift. <laughs> and they can see that I celebrate that, that I love it. And that it's a pity it's a podcast because my outfit is slamming today. And people can see that I have learned to transcend the self-hate and that I love myself. And that no matter what you slot into that, what you were told is wrong with you, then the process can be the same. And that's what this whole podcast is about, rising that way. Yeah. What's interesting is the pull that you are able to, on the outside, signal immediately, I love myself, I celebrate who I am, I am unapologetically who I am. And the way that any of us, as listeners, any of us in the world, don't have the courage, don't have the confidence, don't stay connected to our truth for yielding to the way that society or someone we crave love from or whatever it might be has us morphing into wearing masks to hide some of who we inevitably end up being is part of what creates the unfulfillment and the self-hatred and the way that we don't feel great about ourselves when we're by ourselves as we put our head on the pillow. And so there is something that's just so admirable about seeing you fully stand in your truth and do so even though the truth that you have invariably just introduces and welcomes nastiness at times from people who don't understand it. Oh, sure. I mean, you're on the internet. You get nastiness too. Oh yeah. It lives there. It lives there. (laughs) It thrives there. Yeah. You want to know something that's weird though? Well, if you look in my demographics, so people who are not, you know, on the internet so much may not know that you can go in and look at your audience, your demographics, where they're from, age groups, you know, stuff like that. And about a third of my audience is conservative people. I really, I mean, I have theories as to why, but when I noticed that one day, a couple of years ago, it was really shocking to me. So there is something that hopefully about my work that transcends that sort of the tribalism that you're talking about, that you're pointing at. Well, I think that like universally, there's something in our humanity that wants to actually be given permission to be our true full selves and still love ourselves in the face of people who would be critical of that truth. Mm, sure. And so there's something I think is there, uh, you know, as an audience, be they conservative or liberal or anything in between, as they're able to see, oh, I found someone who might be something of a model for how to embrace living fully in truth, even though it may be unconventional, different, or questioned at times by a portion of the population, because we all want to be able to be seen as our true selves, 
and love ourselves irrespective of the way we are received. Yeah, absolutely. And not just snarky comments on the internet, not just people chiming in with their opinions about the way I look and, and who I am. Uh, right now, there are, there's, uh, <laughs> right now, our own government in certain ways is trying to legislate people like me out of existence. But in other parts of the world, it's, it's deadly to be open the way that I am. It's d- yeah. dangerous, um, yeah, to a person's life. Well, let's talk just for a second because of the having brought up the legislative pieces. There are some things in real time and where I'm sitting in Texas, there are mm-hmm. things happening in many places. For anyone who's listening that may be a little less familiar with some of the activity that's happening inside of the legislative space, can you give us just a little taste of what you know and why we as people, whether we are inside of the community or outside of the community ought to keep our antenna up for what's happening because of the way that it threatens the existence of humans. Oh, I think you, uh, wow, you said it much more eloquently than I was going to. (laughs) Yeah, it's something to keep an eye on because trans people are already vulnerable and specifically trans women, uh, black trans women to be ultra specific, are in danger in our country. And so when the government swoops in, and uses trans people as scapegoats. I think of my whole life and how people throughout my whole life have tried to use people like me to get votes, to be honest, and how that's not a very welcoming kind way to be. Because fear is a commodity and you can galvanize voting by making people afraid of things that they're unfamiliar with. I really think so, yes. And LGBTQ-ness, just as a very broad umbrella category, has often been slotted into that fear. Who even thinks about gay marriage anymore? But at one point, that was the reason to vote, to stop that from ruining humanity. Hey, y'all. While I am taking a hiatus from social media, I'd still love to stay connected to you on the regular. If you head over to MrDaveHollis.com, I have an opportunity for us to become one-way pen pals. Yep, I'm going to be sending out regular updates, uh, stories, uh, observations, hopefully things that will also make you laugh or think. Uh, And I'd love to be able to do that on the reg. So if you uh, are so inclined... Hit MrDaveHollis.com, drop in your email, and buckle on up. I love you all. Thank you for all the continued support. Let's go.